0: Hi, I'm Caroline, a yoga teacher with a special interest in menopause based in Edinburgh. And hi, I'm Dr. Clara GP with a special interest in menopause based in North London. Together we are the Menopause Sisters and we are here to guide and support you through your menopause journey. Hello and welcome to the Menopause Sisters show with myself Caroline and my sister Dr. Claire and we're really pleased to welcome Dr. Heather Curry MBE today. We really feel privileged that she's been able to make the time to join us. She's the Associate Medical Director and Gynecologist at Dumfries and Galloway Royal Infirmary and specialising in menopause Premenstrual Syndrome and Cervical Screening. She's also the co-editor of Post Reproductive Health, the journal of the British Menopause Society and she's actually still a trustee there and past chair of the BMS. Most importantly at the moment for us she's the founder and managing director of Menopause Matters Limited, um, the award-winning website which is full of wonderful um, information and signposting there but also publishes the magazine which we are both big fans of. She's also author of an award-winning book and the list goes on is what I'm going to say there Heather and welcome thank you so much for joining us
1: You're very welcome it's lovely to be able to chat about miracles
0: <laughs> so we were just saying weren't we just before we pressed the record button um, how this has I guess, got more interest in the last, last few years. But I really wanted to focus here on the fact that you were a pioneer or you have been a pioneer with this and you've, you've stuck with this and obviously more and more voices have joined you. But I wondered what you've seen and the changes you've seen of, over the last few years and, and how that's maybe affected your work and, and any thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, so myself and many others have been involved in this field for many years and uh, have been aware for a long time how important it is that menopause affects all women. It can have a range of consequences, both short-term, intermediate and long-term, and there are effective, safe treatment options. And, and it is great now that gradually more and more people have joined that story and have contributed to increasing awareness. And so I'm delighted to see that many women now are much more informed, that are, that are aware, of, know what to look out for, because some of the menopausal symptoms can be quite subtle. And, you know, previously, the classical menopausal symptoms that most people were aware of were the flushes and the sweats, but actually often it's the psychological changes, the mood changes, the difficulty concentrating, the irritability, the anxiety, the sleep disturbance that can actually have the biggest impact. And previously, I think there wasn't the same awareness that this can be hormonally related and therefore maybe didn't lead to appropriate treatment. But it is fantastic now that people are more aware of that. And also the big big change has been also around the perception of hormone replacement therapy. So 25 to 30 years ago, there was huge numbers of women were prescribed hormone replacement therapy, HRT, and they strongly believed, as did healthcare professionals, that the benefits outweighed the risks. And there was confidence in both prescribing it and taking it. In the early 2000s, we had a lot of publicity around following some trials that were carried out in America in particular and were published and there was a big exaggerated focus on risks of HRT and we kind of then people tended to forget that there were also benefits and actually for most women the benefits outweighed the risks and so understandably from the headlines that went along with that people were scared and genuinely women were scared of taking HRT, and many healthcare professionals were understandably concerned and not merely confident in prescribing it. So we had a whole number of years, sort of two decades really, where there's a lot of work being done to try and get it back in perspective, to try and look at it in more detail. The studies have been reanalyzed lots and lots of times, and to get to the point that we've been in just fairly recent times, which is that HRT aims to replace estrogen, The consequences of the menopause are due to the lack of estrogen and HRT is the most effective treatment we have for menopausal symptoms and also has benefits on long term health. It's not perfect. No medication is. But for most women, the benefits outweigh the risks. So the big change I've seen in recent times is the increased confidence in women for discussing and asking about HRT and also the increased confidence in healthcare professionals in prescribing it. So that has got to us, us to a really good place, except that a disadvantage of that, as we are currently, is that demand is outstripping the supply. But that's causing distress in itself. But there is a lot of work going on to try and correct that.
2: Yeah, thank you. That, that's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because the, the demand for it has, has grown exponentially, and I'm seeing that day to day with women. You know, and, and prescriptions coming back to me, and please, can you prescribe something different? Which is really hard because you know you may actually try two or three different preparations before you can actually find one locally. Uh, and I've had women driving across the country trying to trying to get their Easter gel when actually you know there are there are some good some really good alternatives. Yeah. But just just thinking about that, you know, you were mentioning that the the Women's Health Initiative study there, and actually, I remember, you know, going through med school and hearing about this, and that's when everyone came off HRT, and that was really that was an awful time for for people, wasn't it? Because it was sensationalised that this this was a terrible
1: medication to be on and did a lot of damage. Yeah, no, I was just going to say absolutely, and you know, I think. When when you see the headlines like HRT doubles risk of breast cancer or something like that, everyone is bound to be concerned about it. And and you know, not everyone has time to look into all the detail behind that and and what numbers that actually came from. Because if we think about risk in percentage increase or doubling it or trebling it, it sounds horrendous, but it but in fact it is still very small numbers. And I know um that we have a whole cohort of of healthcare professionals that through their training were, you know, the information being given to them was that this is risky. And, you know, we know of practices that just stopped prescribing HRT, but also women who stopped it themselves and, and felt, Oh, this is crazy. I'll, I'll just put up with my, you know, this is really scary. I'll put up with my flushes. So it's bound to have taken a long time. And I get a bit upset when I, when I hear complaints about GPs don't know anything about HRT and, and this GP bashing thing that's going, it's its awful, you know, people train in certain times, and they learn from the information that's current at that time, and so it's been quite a shift to, to try and get the right information out, and to get that confidence, and and GPs are, are trained in menopause, you know, and, and some will know more than others, and some will be more up to date than others, and that's the same for every area, area. that's not just related to menopause, and there's Huge amounts of education and resources now, particularly from the British Menopause Society, that's there to help people. So, you know, if if we see sometimes the wrong information has been given, then my job as a specialist is to support that, support those practices, and and continue to give education and resources that they can easily access.
2: Absolutely, and I think that that your your um your menopause matters website I mean that's been completely pivotal for so many practices and so many GP trainees actually particularly as a trainer myself and signposting trainees there it's 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 got a wealth of knowledge how did that sort of come about what was the that's a big piece of work I imagine how did that happen
1: um, yes well it happened it's a bizarre story it happened um in 2000 actually we were um before that, I was always keen to provide um, verbal information to, with, to back it up with written information. So just in my own organisation, Dumfries and Galloway NHS, I had written a, a small leaflet um, just about different types of HRT, initially intended for our GP colleagues, so actually something they can have in their top drawer just to refer to different types, when you'd use which one, what had which estrogen, what had which progesterone, um, and then... It, we got that printed and we sent it out locally. Um, at that time, so that was the late 1990s, things were changing so rapidly. There was so much interest in HRT. There were new products coming out almost on a weekly or even or at least monthly basis. And so what I found, it was always out of print. It was always out of date. You know, we're always having to update it and reprint it. In fact, the last copy that we made of that was out of date before it even came back from the printer. And so... At that time, it was when websites were just developing, so in 2000. And um, then it was actually my husband, who's not medic at all, but actually said, well, why don't you do it as a, as a website? Then we can continue to update it. And, and so we did, and we launched it in – actually, the last leaf booklet that I had, I, we met a local webmaster, and I took it to him and said, could you make this in a website? He said, oh yeah, of course. And um, it was ready that week. So we fully launched it early 2001. And at that time, it the main focus was actually for healthcare professionals to make it easy for them. But then we thought, actually, we could put loads more information on there. And so the focus changed so that it is now for anyone, really. And it's just developed over the years. And then in 2005, we thought... I wonder if a magazine would work. And actually, you know, despite this this enabled population, meaning technology enabled population, you know, some people don't use the internet so much. And we thought there was still a role to sit down with a cup of tea in a magazine. And, and, and it, it, you could do different things with a magazine. You could do personal stories, have nice pictures. And so that was launched in 2005. And it's just gradually ticked away. But and over the last year, the use of it has just increased phenomenally, both the website and the um, use of the magazine as well. So it's it's in a really good place, and we've just always maintained: let's not sensationalise it, let's just keep the accurate information, keep it up to date, um, and that's what seems to be working. So we're delighted with it. It's a very small team, actually, um, just a few of us that that do different bits to it: a webmaster, social media manager. Um magazine editor, advertising manager and um yeah, it's great fun. I love being involved with it.
0: it's great I love it and I just and as you just as you just said i you know that's for me a cup of tea or a coffee and sitting down <laughs> with a magazine that's still lovely, and i'm you know what am i i'm forty six I still love doing that, you know, not reading it on a device or anything, and actually having a physical magazine is just fantastic, and is you see, the personal stories are wonderful that you include in that magazine as well
1: yeah I mean some women are just are just I admire them so much that they're willing to tell their stories and they're quite sensitive sometimes, but they just want to share their experience and it's all about helping other people.
2: And that's what's great about it, isn't it? It's, quite an, it's an inclusive website, so it's not aimed just for healthcare professionals, like you say, it's aimed at women as well. But And that's what's what's so important, I think, about medicals care is just the inclusivity of it and women enabling other women, but also enabling their healthcare professional and vice versa that's quite nice to be able to access a site that you know that other that women, you know, um, and, and non
1: medical personnel can can access too. Yeah, we have. Um, I do work very closely with the British Menopause Society, and there is a lot of factual, clinical, scientific stuff as well um, that we link to often, and we sort of share their um, updates and. Um, updates on shortages of supply and all that kind of thing. So we do it very closely. And there are fantastic resources freely available on the British Menopause Society website for healthcare professionals in particular
0: for us it's so important to be signposting to evidence-based information you know that's what's what that's what we try to do with this podcast this is what we try to do just generally with all of our work is is giving people um you know the the right information as it were because there's so much wrong information out there and some of the social media groups and women trying saying this 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 and you know sometimes my heart just goes and just just have a look you know there's a handful of websites or books that we can recommend that are evidence-based actually and, give, and giving women the correct information is just so important
1: yeah, exactly. So, actually, in the years that we were trying to get back the confidence, that get back the interest in menopause, because interestingly, with the drop, massive drop in prescribing of HRT that we experienced in the early two thousands, it seems that there was sort of also in that time a bit less research and a less interest in menopause. And, and that baffled me because menopause never went away. You know, every day new women become menopausal and, and, and there was a, a whole cohort that really struggled with symptoms but felt if, if they went to ask for help, all they would be offered might be HRT and they were scared of taking it. So it was a very difficult time, but, you know, it's, it's never gone away. It's always been there. And so then it was around getting the risk in perspective Sometimes now, it's fantastic there's so much more awareness, but actually sometimes we're now seeing women who are considering using HRT when there's no real indication. You know, HRT is the most effective treatment. It has more benefits than risk, but it isn't necessarily for everyone. And there are some women that have medical conditions that would make it, you know, quite difficult or um, not advisable to take HRT. So, so it, it would be a shame if it swung a bit too far the other way. Everyone should know it's an option, but it doesn't mean that everyone needs to take it. Not everyone has symptoms, you know, and, and, and I think sometimes there's so much publicity around it. I wonder if some people are feeling a bit under pressure, that they should be taking it when there may not be any indications. So it's it's just important to get in the balance, right?
0: And yeah. we've talked about this, Claire, haven't we? Find it, you know, actually just for women to have the correct information and the choice that's available. Yeah, yeah.
2: But, but also not only that, we know that the HRT isn't always the magic bullet, you know, and, and what we want to try and avoid in these times is is sensationalising it to, to say that
1: HRT is going to solve all your issues, and it, it's not. no. No, it's great. It has lots of benefits. Um, it will treat, in most women, it will help consequences and symptoms related to lack of estrogen. But, you know, at the time that people are going through this, there's also a whole load of other stuff going on that leads to stress and anxiety, you know, life changes, teenage children, elderly relatives that working so much. You know, there's just a whole load of stuff that comes together. And an HRT can help the symptoms related to the lack of estrogen, but it isn't the answer to a difficult life, really. And, you know, many women have so many stresses and challenges that it can, it's important, I think, at the beginning just to get the right expectations, just to understand what it is that it's likely to help.
0: That's one of my focuses actually is just talking a little bit about adrenaline and cortisol as a trauma reformed yoga teacher. I'm really aware of that, how it affects women and how it affects their menopause journey and going, well, actually, you know, yes, HRT could help, but there are, there are other lifestyle factors to, to take yeah. into account
1: yeah definitely It's looking at the whole picture
2: yeah yeah and being being a bit holistic about it as well and and recognizing that HRT is like like you say one option but there's so many options and it might not be the right option for you it it might well be but just being open to those different uh I guess different choices um is is really imperative isn't it
1: yeah, and and you know, leading on from that, diet and lifestyle is hugely important. And while if if someone comes to see us who is having significant menopausal symptoms, that may not be in the right frame of mind to tackle diet and lifestyle and um, changes. And so, what is sometimes important is to give treatment and try and get symptoms reduced under control. So that, but then not forget the diet and lifestyle things, you know. So so then focus on that and and. Even if someone does choose to take HRT and it is helpful for them, it doesn't mean they'll need it forever either. So symptoms, we used to think they would last on average two to three years. The more recent evidence suggests maybe about seven years. Some women don't have any symptoms at all. So, you know, if the trigger was purely related to the lack of oestrogen, as our ovaries stopped producing oestrogen, We'd all be affected in exactly the same way, but we're clearly not. So, about twenty-five percent of women don't have those, you know, symptoms that we've described—the flushes, sweats, mood changes, etc.—and um, some have them so severe that it can significantly affect their quality of life. So, it is it it, the, the key thing here is, as we've always said in menopause, it's individualization. So. No two women are affected in the same way. We don't know why, some, why there's such a variety, both in the type of symptoms, the severity of the symptoms and the duration. And therefore, we can't have a blanket approach as to offering treatments. It has to be given the women. And that's always what Menopause Matters has always been around is giving the women the right information so they can make informed choices and work out what's right for them which may be completely different from the friend or the sister or the neighbour um, it's it's just trying to help them work out what's right for them Yeah, Absolutely
2: and, I, and, and that kind of leads me on to asking you about the, the menopause vision in the UK and there's this paper that I think you're, you, you, you've you helped to, to, to write and to, to establish can you tell us a bit more about what that involves and how that came
1: to be? Yes, yeah, so um, last year in Scotland, the government launched their Women's Health Plan for Scotland, which was the first nation to do that. It was really exciting to be involved with that. So I was clinical advisor and um, chaired the group looking at menstrual health and menopause. And previously, with my work with the BMS, we had launched the BMS Vision for menopause care in the UK. And so what we did with the health plan, health plan for the menopause part was really trying to implement that to see, you know, what we can do to get that in place. And so there's different different parts of that. One is that the thing that we've just been talking about, that we've all been trying to do, is to is to have women have access to accurate and trustworthy information. Um, so on as well as the sort of with BMS part of that and their patient arm and menopause matters. There's also now a lot of information on NHS inform. So they um, updated the whole section for women's health. And there's a a, a lot of work been done, a lot of resources on the um, menopause section of that. We also felt it was really important that every healthcare professional has a good understanding of menopause now, That is difficult to achieve. But, you know, in all different other specialties, there may be menopause elements to it. And and what's really key is that both women themselves and healthcare professionals of all different specialties are aware of the range of menopausal symptoms because it can be so easy to get it wrong. So if someone has palpitations, that's a common menopausal symptom. If it's not tied in with, oh, then my periods are changing as well, you could understand how that could lead to a cardiology referral. If someone has joint aches and it's not understood that that can be non related, that could lead to a rheumatology referral or painkillers for the joint aches. Um, to do, you know, related to mood changes to mental health, we know that that if that's not connected with hormonal changes, that can lead to antidepressants being prescribed. And we can understand why this happens. So it was just, we felt it's important that healthcare professionals in general um, are much more aware of the sort of range of menopausal symptoms. So, you know, that's all around education for everyone, really, and looking at starting that from school, not waiting till a later stage. So you know people in all walks of life have a better understanding and there's much more talk about it and i think we can we can happily say that is certainly happening um for various reasons and for various other voices getting involved which is fantastic from the healthcare professionals specifically providing menopause care we we were keen that um in with every gp primary care practice someone had a special interest And there are many, many practices that have that place in place already and that are providing excellent menopause care. But in some situations, there may be some complexities. And so in each region, we would hope that there will be a menopause specialist service whose aim is to give advice on more complex medical situations, for example, and also to provide local education. And delighted to say that actually in Scotland now, we do have a menopause specialist service, in every um, region, in, in every board on the mainland. And, and we have, you know, for our islands, the beautiful islands um, around the coast, then we have a sort of buddy system. So they have specialists on the mainland that they can contact as well um, for, for advice. So, so that's the, the sort of key information, really. And the big thing is that women have in access to information. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. When they need to seek help from a healthcare professional, they will get consistent advice. And that's the thing that has been lacking over recent years for all the reasons that we've described, which is completely understandable. But with more and more education and more and more resources, we're getting nearer to that consistent advice
0: it's that joined up thinking isn't it and actually what was really interesting with the NHS inform and how they they launched a lot of the menopause videos and information around national menopause day or international menopause day last year Um, and suddenly there was just so much more information there and it was fantastic something I wanted to mention was the RSHP curriculum as well so the the relationship sexual health and parenthood I guess modules there's there's different levels isn't there because they start in primary school and it goes all the way through secondary and and for me something that's come up just I've got three boys at various stages through their education, but we talk quite openly about menopause, um, and we have, they often joke about my menopause brain. But actually, for me, just sort of thinking around this holistically as well as long term is you know is making sure it's in the curriculum all the way through even just the word it doesn't it doesn't even have to be you know in a lot of detail in the younger stages but for girls going through puberty starting periods knowing that they stop at the other end and just having that knowledge and for me that's you know maybe that's the next step of the joined up thinking
1: yeah i think so the sooner that that education you know, starts the better. So I think, the, you know, there is information about menstrual health that could probably be better. But there is that, there is contraception, there's pregnancy, and then it's sort of and that's it really. So it would be great to have that joined up. This is the and women's life course approach, which has always been the sort of concept from the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, is that you know there were so many different situations through a woman's lifetime that that leads to different things happening. So you know, contraception, need to think about that, menstrual health, you know, what can we do? Do girls want the option of not having periods? Periods are awful, you know. Why do we put up with periods? And there's the often PMS can go along with that. And then there's the pregnancy and on all there's so many different things but which can happen that for which we need healthcare professionals to be really clued up as well, to to influence at each stage that that women might present, girls and women might present to us and let them know what the options are.
2: Yeah. And I was interested when, when we spoke about the um, the vision for kind of menopause care in the UK, it's really interesting that part of that includes the fact that it doesn't necessarily have to be your GP that you go for, sure. that perhaps you could go to other health professionals within your practice or even possibly even your ph- pharmacist to be signposting
1: um, you to. Definitely, and our education has always been open to, to practice nurses, to pharmacists as well, and we're expanding that more and more because all these people have a really important part to play. And it's again, it's around getting consistent advice. So it's no point just focusing on education on the GPs if then the next person, the healthcare professional that the patient has in con- is in contact with, is, has is not got that same information, and so is giving different advice. So it's it's just all about the consistency.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's often, you know, nurses we might see for blood tests or a smear or something around pregnancy or, you know, the health visitors. And as you say, it's that joined-up thinking because one symptom alone might look like something very different. Um, And going back to seeing, you know, women going in to see their GPs, and I think it's, you know, this is where it's really tough for GPs. You know, those 10 minutes a woman comes in possibly with one symptom because she's not made the, you know, made the dots join up. And I heard something recently where perhaps there could be a question, just a question that was within every single consultation room, that first question was, um, has anything changed around your period, your menstrual cycle? And I thought that would be a really interesting question to ask every single woman, because it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, if there's a change there, sometimes that's an indication of something else changing elsewhere, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So just that trigger, isn't it? Just that. And that's why, you know, start with the women having the knowledge. So for them to pinpoint it themselves. Absolutely.
2: Um, and I wanted to I wanted to find out briefly from you if you'd done any work with around employers and how. I mean, there's a lot of talk about how we can make workplaces more menopause friendly, and Carol and I have spoken to, to employers who sometimes feel a bit baffled, don't know, quite know how to to manage it. Um, you know, do. Do, do we talk about it more is that is that being more inclusive or does that make things worse and I just wondered from your perspective do you do you feel that there's a role for employers in in, in medical is it, are there something that employers should be doing or not doing perhaps
1: yes I do there's been a huge increase in interest again in just in recent times of um, employers and you know, the sort of request to have menopause policies or menopause frameworks. and um, I had been involved for a number of years. Occasionally, a company would ask me to do a meeting or, um, you know, in now the days of Team and Zoom, it's much easier to do that. So I've done quite a lot of webinars just for staff that can I can give an overview of menopause and... Um, then answer questions, but that's always just been informal, but there's a lot of much more formal structured policies and frameworks in development. And, you know, working in the NHS, by far the majority of our staff are women, and many of them are in their sort of mid-40s onwards, and so I've always been really keen to look after our own staff first, and that might sound a bit selfish, but I feel, you know, how can our own NHS staff look after patients if they are really struggling with menopausal symptoms so for a number of years now in our own organization we have set up um information evenings for staff and these are really well received um and that's signposted them you know to maybe oh actually i will go and see my gp and, and ask about the treatment and whatever so we've done that for a number of years and then just before the pandemic started we actually developed a menopause framework which involved posters behind toilet doors you know have you got any of these symptoms these are the resources and we have a wonderful specialist menopause nurse in our organization and she um i was going to say runs a hotline i suppose it is really so i can contact her directly and it might be just something simple they can sort out over the phone or if she feels they need a more in-depth discussion we can make an appointment for them and that way so there's lots of work been going on and in in our own organisation first but in many many organisations now and and increasingly um, myself and and there are other organisations specifically now offering um assessments and advice and support in the workplace so i've just been doing it informally in the form of webinars and q a sessions but it always is very well received and and it you know it's it might be simple things like what's the ventilation in the in the place you know are the fans handy you know how accessible are the toilets you know part of the whole thing before you get to the point of period stopping as you'll be well aware that crazy menop- perimenopause time when suddenly a period comes out of the blue. And how do you deal with that if you're an office and a long way from the loo? You know, just simple things like that. It's just letting people be aware of what can happen and then what can they put in place. Um, I did brand around the word um, at some point last year about having menopause champions. It was a kind of passing comment. I think, Actually, it might be quite nice for there to be a menopause champion so someone that women know they can go and talk to. And, and that then was sort of quoted. Dr. Curry lobbying for menopause champions. It was, it was just a passing comment, really. But but actually, it's not a bad idea because sometimes I know that women are a bit nervous of going to their line manager because they don't want to want the line manager to know to feel that they may not be able to do their job. And so, just going to someone impartial is just another option. Um, I was asked, you know, what I often ask, what should workplaces be doing? I, I don't like Managing menopause and giving menopause care, there's no one size fits all. Because if you think of the huge variety of the organizations, you know, the type of work they do, whether they're working from home more now than used to be the case, and that might be more easier to manage hours and facilities, etc., um, whether, you know, the size of the organization, it's just so varied. You know, I don't, I can't see there's one solution, but it is just important that there's more awareness and people are talking about it more within the workplace as well. We have various surveys that have shown that menopausal symptoms can impact on functioning and performance at work. And there are some statistics around some women cutting down their hours or leaving work, you know, related to their menopausal symptoms. If they want to do that and they're in a position to be able to do that, You know, that's fine, but it's a shame if it's purely because the menopausal symptoms and they've wanted to work longer. And the big thing for me also is these women often have tremendous knowledge and experience. And it is such a shame if that's lost purely because the menopausal symptoms aren't being treated
0: one of my clients said that to me um last week actually um she'd said to me she's in her 70s and and she said i you know i'm pretty sure i gave up i gave up work because of because of my symptoms you know and i felt quite sad but we had a really positive discussion around how things are changing and information is changing and hopefully the next generation won't have as much of a struggle because it'll be you know slightly better recognized but i'm really pleased you mentioned nurses heather actually because like you say that you know a lot of nurses are in that 40 upwards or for mid 40 upward age bracket, and and so possibly going through perimenopause and menopause, so coping with the symptoms. It's been the most stressful time in the last couple of years for a lot of nurses, obviously dealing with the pandemic. But also they are just this wonderful kind of key person to pass on you know, the message, to, to have that discussion as well. And if we can look after them, they can look after us. But, you know, often they are a first point of call and for a lot of women, a kind of a safe person to talk to as well.
1: Definitely. and um, So leading on the other part of the women's health plan was around menstrual health. So so what we're doing now is working out posters and information to say to women, you don't have to have periods. There's ways around that. You know, simple things like if you're taking the contraceptive pill that you take for three weeks and then have a week off, don't have the week off. It's actually perfectly okay to just take it all the time. And, and it's around where we're going with that is where we're trying is where we've got to with menopause in that being aware of options. You know, for, for periods, so many women have this mindset that it's normal to have a period and there's something bad will happen if we don't. But actually, there's never been anything good about periods. And so we're, we're, we're expanding that kind of work around menstrual health and just letting women know what, girls and women know what the options are. Yeah,
0: Yeah. yeah. and actually, you know, there's, there's a lot more talk around menstrual health as well now i feel like the younger generation are kind of leading that conversation a little bit more and you know around tracking cycles and possibly yep. looking at the seasons and how they work with your cycle you know that idea of hibernating in the winter just as your period comes so you know this and i love all of that because actually because i wish i had i'd had that you know in my teenage years and, and understood my cycle a lot better as i came into perimenopause yeah
2: i think it's really interesting actually because i've got, I've got to the age of 43 and i think i'm now understand my cycle when did i start my periods at the age of 13 and all those years where you just are a bit confused and then if you're not informed about the menopause you've got another few you've got another years ahead of you being confused but but add to that your symptoms and you're even more confused so it feels like a bit of a line fill for many women um so i think yeah the importance of just self-education and knowing this before that before it happens because when you're immersed in it it can be so difficult to see the wood for the trees you don't know what's going on you don't even necessarily think you're perimenopausal or menopausal because you don't always feel that great so I think having that that self-education is is important and then you can obviously educate your health professional if you need to I mean you we, we all like that we don't mind that at all
1: <laughs> exactly and and you're right you know even if you're a healthcare professional and you do know about it. When it's you that it's affecting it, it's completely different. You can't be objective about yourself. You know, you kind of want someone else to say, to advise you what to do because it's really difficult to, to. When it's yourself, you can't be the medic and the patient. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I often champion my GP because she's been incredibly helpful and in understanding around the whole of HRT, and and Claire always laughs at me. Have you written another letter to your GP? Cause sometimes I just sort of think, well, actually, I just need to tell her this, and it doesn't need a phone call. And I just write her a little note and tell her that. And you know, it's been. But she, GPs are wonderful and a uh, fountain of knowledge. So it's it's just acknowledging that at this point as well.
1: Absolutely, and there can't be experts in everything. None of them can. You know, I'm really lucky. I think often think, cranky I'm so lucky. I I just have a small areas of health to, to focus on you know i can't possibly know about all the other stuff that goes on and and gps are amazing that they have to cover so much in such a short time my hat goes off to them. I think and it's
0: practice. practice nurses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Practice nurses. Oh, they're amazing as well. Heather, thank you so much for your time tonight. Really, really appreciate it. And and just a wonderful discussion to have with you around all of your work and how it's actually transformed over the last 20
1: years. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I always like talking about menopause. It's been <laughs> a lovely chat. Thank you so much. Thanks, yes, Heather.